A story about a bear stumbling into comical situations like a Harrier Forrest Gump. We're talking Paddington on today's... We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to Kidflix, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and have a will-they-won't-they they chemistry with your stuffed giraffe. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> uh, mangled that, but who cares? That's actually 100% true. I mean, not the will-they-won't-they they chemistry part, but um, guys, I get really emotional with my stuffed animals, but... That person you heard laughing, we have a very special guest today. You know him from the Gilmore Guys podcast, as well as Good Christian Fun. It's Kevin T. Porter. How are you doing, Kevin? Hello! Thank you, Ross. What a delight to be on this show. This is such oh. a good idea for a show. I'm so oh, glad someone's you. doing this. You're making me blush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I started the podcast or I had the idea, I was like, oh, I'll Google... Um, like kids movie podcasts and the only thing that came up was just like a bunch of middle-aged dads talking about movies they had to go see with their kids and I was like this is different enough oh yeah oh come on yeah that sounds like uh this is a much less cynical take on it then so so this is great what what made you want to do this podcast like were you just a fan of this stuff growing up so oh you yeah wanted to revisit it and no totally like uh, uh I've been I mean, I've been a kid for most of my life, which is a big part of it. Yeah, but, uh, I was a former kid as well, actually. Oh, my Fun God. Fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small yeah. world. Small world. But, it used to be uh, an sm- even smaller world for us. Oh, that's right. Well, bigger, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but I, it's actually weird. I, I thought of this podcast. I was walking to work, and I walked past uh, the poster for Despicable Me 3, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I I hope Despicable Despicable Me three for whatever the reason being inspired a lot of podcasts. Yeah, people are like, you know what? This this just speaks to me. I have to be creative now in this day and age, especially. Yeah, exactly. So you're not a fan of the Despicable Me stuff. I, I've only seen the first one, so I'm I'm really missing out. Actually, I, I think I, I think you're probably fine. I've only seen the first one too, but I don't get the impression that there's like more to it. No, my brother and I know so many people just are obsessed with the minions, and I still don't get it. Like, sure, I don't know what I'm missing. Well, Minions, I mean, I've heard some legit, because Minions is a weird, like, alt-comedy punchline now, the same way that, like, Borat, my wife, became an alt-comedy punchline. But I think for some people, they are legit into Minions. Like, I know Nick Weiger, for sure, legitimately oh, 100%. loves Minions. And even my old podcast co-host, Demia Digiwebe, He's like, no, Minions are funny. They're good. They're like slapstick and, and like it's quality. The Minions movie is quality. Well, do you think part of it comes from, because we're both uh, comedy people, so we have like this snob attitude like, oh, it got too popular. So I don't know. There's just something wrong about it. I don't, I think it is like this alchemy. I think there is a snobbery to it for sure. Like that's not not part of the equation. But I think it's more just a, a bafflement with like mainstream popularity, more so than like it got too popular. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Like, whenever there's like an arbitrary alt comedy punchline, darling, I'm not. You most of the time, I'm not sure why. But sometimes I understand it when it's like 
oh, people still make Studio 60 jokes and they're still very funny. I understand why that's the case. But something like Borat or Minions and stuff, I, I just don't know other than like it felt like there was a secret society meeting where everyone just agreed, <laughs> okay, this is going to be the punchline now. Okay, so you mentioned Studio 60. I am. <laughs> I still talk about it to this day. And I know you bring it up on the podcast every so often. And it's so disappointing how that show happened. Yeah. <laughs> like the, first, the first half of the season was so good. And then I was reading all of like the behind-the-scenes stuff. And just NBC kept giving more and more notes. And it became so weird. Yeah, I mean, although I kind of have a different take in the sense of like what went wrong with it. I don't I don't see it as it as it being a case of like the genius Aaron Sorkin got too many notes and he wasn't able to do his thing. As much as I do like I think he just made a grave miscalculation of like which space belonged to him and I think his like his theater chops made gave him the entitlement to think well yeah it's just comedy who cares you know just Mm -hmm. banana peels and stuff there's so many like fundamental issues with that show that i remember even thinking at the time man this really isn't good other than the pilot I i was thinking man this really isn't good you know if only they would apply this to like a new show like maybe they're in like some sort of newsroom but then spoilies that wasn't good either so it wasn't he, he just kind of and i still rewatch west wing those first four seasons all the way through every couple of years so that that still holds up and actually improves with age in some respects but otherwise i think he's just like he's just not a tv guy anymore well didn't he say that after newsroom ended he's like okay i'm done with uh tv shows forever yeah, that's low-key, not a bad Sorkin impression. <laughs> you. you have to add in a few more ah, ah, I, yeah. ah, ah, ah. But yeah, you pretty much nailed it. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen the ad for his master class so many times. Damn it. How could this have happened? Nobody starts a sentence in the real world <laughs> with damn it. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite. Damn it. How could this have happened? Uh, it's so he's such a funny guy. We're talking about other TV. Let's get into the reason why we're here. So, yes. Kevin, uh, wh- what drew you to choose Paddington today? So Paddington was kind of a, a surprise for me. I didn't see the first one when it first came out a couple years ago, and I didn't even hear any buzz about it other than like it's pretty good. I didn't know a soul that had seen it. But then Paddington 2 came out, and I started seeing on the Twitter timeline, everyone was pretty into it. And there was one, I want to say the guy's name is David Ehrlich. I'm not sure. I think he's a critic at IndieWire. I might be totally misattributing this. But he said, Paddington 2 is Magic Mike XXL levels of joy. And I was like, well, okay, this I understand. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I watched the first one with a friend of mine, and it was like... It was really, really surprising. It was, you know, I I think it's kind of a movie whose marketing doesn't benefit it because it's very hard to market gentleness and sincerity as a hook for a movie. Like most of the time, like even even the posters for Paddington 2, he looks way more mischievous than he actually is. It looks like, oh, he's about to get up into some shenanigans, which isn't really like 
the harder spirit of it. So I remember seeing the trailer for the first one, and it's that um, <clears throat> it's just that scene with him in the bathroom with everything going haywire and that slapstick, and you know he fills up the bathroom and it comes flooding out. And he's like surfing in the bathtub. I was like, oh, you know, it looks kind of cute, but I don't know if I'd be bored by it or interested. And really, I think I perceived it to be the movie that I believe Peter Rabbit actually is. I'm not going to go see Peter Rabbit. (laughs) Very hot take. I'm not going to do it. Because already, it's like, I mean, critical consensus aside, I I felt like it it was just that. Like, it was just a cheap cashing in of IP of like, Oh, yeah, kids like anything. Uh, okay, let's mind the literature. Okay, kids like Paddington. We'll make a Paddington movie. It'll be CGI Bear. It'll be great. Whatever. Who cares? Which I do believe is the conversation behind Peter Rabbit, especially in light of Paddington. I think they saw, like, see, it works. Let's just do that and do it with a thousand percent less care. Uh, well, isn't, it's also insane because I feel like. Peter Rabbit isn't a huge cultural touchstone. Like, definitely Paddington is more of a UK than US thing, but I mean, yeah. it's still, uh, like, Peter Rabbit is just like, oh, that book that we maybe read in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, it's it's odd. It feels like not the first thought, but I, I've i seen Paddington too. They do play the Peter Rabbit trailer in front of him. I'm like, this could not be. I mean, and, and it really does remind you that and I'm sure what you found in doing this show is that so much of kids' entertainment is so cynically made yes. as as if it's just, yeah, kids will like anything. Make the dog fart, put in a fun song, and let's go home before five. It, it really does feel like that for a majority of it. And then and then you get these little gems are like, that are almost, I really want to connect it to uh, what I think is the case, which is like the spirit of something like Mr. Rogers, where... Mr. Rogers was always for kids, but he never talked down to kids. But he knew how to communicate to kids in a way where he, like, respected their dignity and personhood, but was not condescending and actually understood, no, kids are intelligent. They're intuitive. They're they're smart. They get it as much, if not more so, than we do. So let's not condescend to them. Let's do something that, you know will be good for them and edify. I, I really like, and especially like with all the Tom Hanks news of the Mr. Rogers movie and, and there's like a little revival of like people sharing Mr. Rogers clips on Twitter and stuff. I really have connected that, that those same ideas like, yeah, Mr. Rogers seems like a Paddington esque, uh, you know, version of that. They, I feel like they, they share a lot of the same heart and character in terms of mm-hmm. like their, their goal and intention with the audience. Yeah, and you want to talk about just, like, cynically made movies. I mean, last week on the podcast, we reviewed The Boss Baby, which is just a complete 180 oh. of Paddington. You uh, you mean to say the Academy Award nominated The Boss Baby? Oh, ex- I'm so sorry. By uh, the way, isn't that nuts? Like, I really, I, I, maybe you should do, like, a, a journalistic deep dive into this, but how neither the Lego movie or the Batman Lego movie were nominated for Oscars? Neither was Paddington. Neither was Paddington. I mean, I don't expect it for Paddington too because I don't expect it. But also, like, something with Lord and Miller. They don't get nominated for Oscars because Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs wasn't nominated either, which I find to be That's bizarre. Insane. Yeah, it's really weird. 
Yeah, and I it's so hard to figure out uh, what the Academy kind of goes for because I, I totally agree. The Lego movie, I saw the Lego Batman movie on a date. The date didn't go well, but the movie <laughs> went fantastically. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, I don't know. Like, you would think, I mean, you probably know this a little bit better just kind of being more around uh, showbiz types. But, I mean... Uh, oh, I'm Mr. Hollywood, if that yeah. wasn't clear. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Two Podcast over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, we're recording this on Skype, and Ross can't see this, but I am. I am perched on the H in the Hollywood sign currently. <laughs> Tell Griffith Park I say hi. I I will for sure, sir. Uh, let's. I'm now. I'm just looking at my notes for Paddington, and sure. I mean, you mentioned the bathroom scene from before. Um, I don't know about you. I was super stressed just seeing everything slowly fill up with water and just the entire house get ruined just bothered me to my core. Right. Well, I think what I found is in these movies, I was actually talking about this with a friend of mine. And we were we were saying any sort of conflict that happens stressed me out so much <laughs> watching this. Like are we are we talking about one and two right now or just one? I haven't seen two, but I mean, if you wanna if you wanna mention it, go for it. Oh sure. So uh, two, there's just I, I don't want to spoil it for you or the listeners, but and two, there's a lot of stuff that happens that is just like so legitimately, uh, and I know people say this about like Saw or Hostel or like some you know horrible movie about the Holocaust or a rape survivor or something, but there were scenes in Paddington too that were some of the hardest <laughs> scenes I've ever had to watch. Where I was like, there is there is so much conflict happening to my little dude that I don't know if my heart can take it, but it did. But Paddington, the first Paddington, what I appreciate about it and what I appreciate what I appreciate about two and hopefully three, is that the stakes are not high. The stakes are, I need to find a family, I need to find a home. And I feel like that's a lesson that Hollywood keeps forgetting and then re-remembering. Like, if you do low stakes and you don't make it, we have to find the blah, 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 or the end of the world, or blah, 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 then people are really going to respond to that and be able to connect with that and project onto that in a much deeper way. So the fact that Paddington, because the second one is more about you know, the community as a whole, but Paddington one is just about him, his search for a family and and connection and and rooting in uh, with somebody, anybody. And uh, yeah, I think I, what for you, what do you think was the most surprising thing about it as someone who hadn't seen it before? Uh, In terms of just the movie as a whole or just like experiencing it? Um, Hmm. That's really hard because, I mean, you're right that everything is very low stakes. I think just the fact that nothing huge is happening to him except, like, being trapped on a boat for a while. But, I don't know, just seeing this very just pleasant, thoughtful person just dealing, rolling with the punches in the best way. Like, when he's walking around London night after night, sleeping on benches in the rain oh and my all gosh. this stuff. I know, oh that was gosh. so hard. <laughs> and he, he doesn't lose hope. He gets frustrated, but he never throws anything on the ground. He doesn't swear or anything. No, and I was, I was prepared for Paddington to drop some F-bombs, but he never did, to his credit. He really stayed the course with that yeah, stuff. Yeah, he never said bloody or anything. No, I mean, and that's the, the, the thing about the character is like, and my, 
And to be clear, I've actually only seen Paddington 1 all the way through once. I've seen Paddington 2 three times now. I'm, I might be going for a fourth time later this Whoa. week. Not I need sure. to go to this now. TBD. And I will say, and not to negate any of the greatness of the first one, but Paddington 2 is just from a, a construction, like just even from a technical perspective of like a screenplay and a script and the way it's directed and stuff, it's almost like a flawless movie. I think Paddington 1 is terrific and a revelation and all those things, but Paddington 2 is like, it's not even, it's not just like, Oh, they made another one, and it's just as good. It's like, oh, they made like a perfect family movie that wouldn't have quite the impact if you didn't if you didn't watch Paddington One. It's um, kind of like Toy Story to Toy Story Two. Yeah, well, and and I think maybe even more so like Toy Story Three, which I think has a little more critical acclaim than Toy Story Two, where it's like you don't care. If you were just watching, I mean, you would care, but if you were watching Toy Story 3 and you were watching all those toys hold each other's hands as they ostensibly go to hell yep. <laughs> in that huge trash fire, then you'd be like, oh, that's sad. But because you've like grown up with it for 10 years and you know who Woody is and you know who Buzz and Mr. Potato Head and Rex and all those guys are, it, it's so much more affecting. So I think Pine to One, because people keep asking, oh, do I have to see one before two? And I think the answer is yes. And to me, just to like get back into the like just the character of who Paddington is and and just his personhood, he is, I think, my favorite uh, kind of superhero where superheroes are aspirational. They are better than us. They represent something that is, you know, outside of us that is, you know, something to admire. So. You know, with uh, with Wonder Woman, obviously, we saw that where it's like, oh, and, and I actually feel like Wonder Woman and Paddington are not dissimilar characters. But with Paddington, he doesn't really have flaw because he is an anthropomorphic bear. He's just like a pure guy. And he stumbles and like he doesn't, you know, believe the brown sometimes or, or he'll like go out on his own and he'll make little mistakes and be clumsy. But he's not like he doesn't have any character flaws, but I actually don't mind that as a character because I'm like, oh, yeah, he's Superman because he's like all about being polite and having manners and, and he's aspirational. And I'm more than OK with the fact that he's kind of like perfect. Yeah. No, and just like and you said, Paddington and Wonder Woman are similar, like Wonder Woman throughout the movie. She kept stopping for marmalade sandwiches. Yeah, I thought that was really weird that they put that in. <laughs> But you know what? I did appreciate it. Several times she was like, we got to dress you. And he's, she's like, I got to eat uh, marmalade. <laughs> you should be proud of this marmalade sandwich. I think this sandwich is Aries. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. We, we saw Wonder Woman as a group. And Caroline went to the bathroom during that part where she goes to the ice cream vendor and says, you should be proud of this ice cream, which to me is my favorite <laughs> part of the movie. That is good. Uh uh, but then she, uh, Caroline, a couple of days later, made cookies that were really good. And I said to her, referencing the movie, you should be proud of these cookies. And she said, oh, Kevin, thank you. That really means a lot to me. And she took it really, really hard. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, the compliment was sincere, but I was referencing the movie. But So I didn't have the heart to tell her that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, you know who Paddington else reminds me of? Uh, David in A.I., Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because specifically just the whole thing of he, all he wants is a home and somebody to love him. He doesn't want anything else. All these people 
look at him with this beautiful expression, and he just doesn't give a care in the world. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see those characters as being very connected. And, and there's an adorable little bear in that movie as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, really? Kind of creepy. Like when he's half falling apart? Oh, yeah. I'll break, David. All that stuff. Oh, I remember that. Yep. That's a good movie. I watched that movie way too young. Like, not like, oh, it's inappropriate, but I think I watched it in middle school, and I was just, this is a really long movie. Yeah, I watched it when it came out, and I was 12, I think. 11 or 12 when it came out. No, I was 11 because it was out the same time as Mulan version. Yeah, it might have been a little too soon. It was. We actually did go see them both in one day, so (laughs) it was legit a double feature. That's like not the worst pairing either. Now that I'm thinking about it in my head, it's like you have a really melancholy story about a robot, and then you go just dance. Yeah, and then go dance, although there is a melancholy ending to that story as well, unfortunately. It's a good movie, though. It's a good movie. Yeah, check it out. Um, I also, I think, did you like his version of Great Gatsby? No, I thought that was a, that was a misstep. (laughs) I feel, I liked it, but I think it's because I was in the hospital when I watched it. So I was just like, this is a great distraction. And then the nurse turned it off. So I got pissed. There are parts of it. I thought aesthetically that were really cool, but otherwise I, I wasn't. Yeah, it it didn't do it. It didn't come together the way it should have. But I mean, it marked unofficially uh, Fergie's comeback into the limelight. Yeah, well, yeah. So we do have that to credit for it. <laughs> Thank you, Thank Baz you. Lerman. Thank you, Baz. <laughs> oh, Bazzy. Uh, that's also. Uh, d- I like to get really chummy with uh, celebrities, just like coming up with fun nicknames for him, like. Uh, uh, I was watching The Master the other day, and for Joaquin Phoenix, I feel like if I ever become close friends with Joaquin Phoenix, I'll call him Wacky. Wacky Joaquin? No, I love it. Yeah. No, I yeah, think that's hey, good. It's old Wacky Phoenix. Yeah, he's yeah. like, guys, come on. I don't do th- my rapping. I don't think he's laughed since 1997, though, so that might be a hard uh, sell. <laughs> well, you know what? All the more reason to try. You're right. <laughs> the humor of this movie is also really fun. Uh, like I was, I, again, like going in, not really knowing anything and thinking, oh, it's going to be kind of a really sweet movie. It's going to be kind of bland and bleh, but, um, the dad with all of his little jokes about, uh, real estate is so good. Like sure. Keeps, oh, and risk he protection. Keeps his son. That's the thing about the script of even the first movie is that they, they really established the games of the character pretty early on. And and hold to them, and and when you do that, and you have like clarity on that as a as a writer, then it's kind of like everything just flows a lot easier. Where it's like, oh, Mr. Brown is risk adverse. He wants to make sure he has bear insurance, and he wants to make sure blah blah blah. And the daughter's into this stuff, and the son's into this. Stuff. Like it's really easy to just keep going with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I GB thought he is just so embarrassed. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. So I thought they did a really elegant job of, yeah, not only just like, oh, it's cute and gentle, but th- I mean, I I LOL at both the first and the second Paddington. I think they're both very funny movies. It, and I mean, there's no way for this to not sound like a slam, but I, I, when I saw the first one, I was like, oh, this is what it would be like if Wes Anderson had a lot more humanity and empathy. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. That's also... That's a good point to make, 
come on, Anderson, have fun. I know it, especially like Grand Budapest Hotel, which is you know one of the most gorgeous movies ever. But it is so arch and cold and kind of keeps you at a distance that it's really hard to connect. Whereas I feel like the pleasures of Paddington are very aesthetic and like oh it's gorgeous and look at like the way the house opens up like a like a dollhouse and. And there's all these like I audibly, beautiful, yeah. I audibly went whoa when that happened. I, the entire movie when they kept doing these little style changes and uh, just kind of playing with animation and retelling and all this stuff, I could not believe it. Yeah, I mean it. It was beautiful, and again, that just shows. I feel like there's movies like there's movies like Paddington, and there's movies that where you can just sense. I feel this way about Edgar Wright movies too, where you can just kind of sense the care that was put into each frame where it's like, not literally every time there, there are people that are more showy about it. Like, like the Brian De Palma or the Tarantino school of like, Hey, look how long I can run around with the steady cam for one shot or, or things like that. And, and those have merit too. But then there are these movies, like I think of Scott Pilgrim versus the world or baby driver, where I even think of like, from a, like a non-visual perspective, like certain episodes of Veep, where it's like, man, or Arrested Development or 30 Rock, where it's like, you guys spend so much time and effort and energy into making this a good thing. And I can tell that you did that. And I really appreciate it as a viewer that I wasn't just like, all right, get an over-the-shoulder shot and get Ben Wynn shot and come in mm-hmm. for half a day and like you can tell the care that went into a movie like Paddington. I think it's, I think it's undeniable when when there are those like flourishes, those production flourishes, or like even like a runner of like oh Mary doesn't know what her hero looks like, and then the hero is her husband, things like that, where it's just so oh that was great yeah, and it, and it's just so sweet and tender and just like to me, I always think of. The Paddington movies are the movies that Paddington would make if he was a little filmmaker. He could use oh. his little paws to, you know, run the cameras and stuff. But that, like, they they all have that sweetness. They're not cynical. They're not uh, bitter at all. They're so earnest and 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 really delicate. The word I keep coming back to when when trying to describe the movies though is like tender. They're just like very tender movies. But that means. You know, they're very, like, sweet in, in their tenderness, and they're very funny in their tenderness as well. Yeah, and I, I think just I'm super done with, with all these movies, kids' movies or adult-centric movies, where it's just so cynical and ironic and just kind of winking at the camera. Cause, yeah. I don't know. And maybe that's kind of a sign of the times, kind of like with uh, our political... Uh, situation in the world that we kind of want more just kind of gentle nice people rather than just like okay we can just blow everything up (laughs) yeah exactly i think um i think that is the case that i think that that's falling out of flavor i think you could even trace that back to the divide between the office and parks and rec where parks and the office the whole thing is built on ill will and irony and cynicism. 
and I, 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 I love parts of The Office, but I don't really love The Office. But, but so much of that show, the premise is like they they work in an office and they all kind of hate each other and they're annoyed with each other and. And there's a fundamental like undercurrent of dislike yes. <laughs> in, in that show. And then you transition over to a show like Parks and Rec, which I think even if the highs weren't quite as high as maybe sometimes it was in the office, although some people would agree or disagree, and I might say they were as high, that the office, Parks and Rec is a show about people who all like each other and are good at stuff. And have like their own passions and desires and, and things that they're into. Tom's into fashion and being an entrepreneur and, and Ron's into being outdoors and disconnecting and being away from people. And Leslie's into her job and her friends. Whereas on The Office, it's like, we all hate each other. Uh, <laughs> Jim loves Pam and gaslights her into marrying him. But you see that where it's like, ooh, it is actually tougher. It's harder, I think, to make a show like Parks and Rec or a movie like Paddington where the fundamental, where the foundation of it is goodwill and sincerity. It's much easier to say, like, shut up, Jim, and whatever. Who cares? F you, grew, F you, minions. Like, it's, it's much more <laughs> difficult to make something that is just fundamentally kind and funny at the same time. Which is why I love like, like that Paddington's shortcomings. Like whenever, and there's a couple of these moments you'll see in Paddington too as well, where like he accidentally gives somebody a sick burn just because he doesn't know any better. He's not, he's not trying to. He just like accidentally says something rude, but he doesn't understand sarcasm. So he's like, oh, I didn't. No, I was even oh. saying that. So, so there's nothing. There's nothing in the Paddington movies. Like from our heroes and those characters that is at all unkind or mean. Like it's all about, you know, being kind and polite and goodwill and manners and things of that nature. I think, I mean, that's also a good message because you see all these kids, uh, these complaints that movies and cartoons are getting more violent. But hey, no one's going to complain about uh, Paddington maybe eating a little bit too much marmalade or taking a little bit too much time brushing his teeth. Exactly. They're, they're very gentle. I know. I, <laughs> I know. And the, uh, yeah, it, it really does come back. And, and too, I see it as like a kind of brilliant vehicle for other ideas because while Paddington, the movie and the character, I think are both very simple in their inherent nature. Like it's not, it's not a tough movie to explain. Paddington, Comes from Peru, goes to London looking for a family. He finds a family at the end. Mm-hmm. But, Easy. But what they are, and and something I really appreciate about them too, is that they're, they're simple while still being very complex and layered and um, multifaceted and nuanced, I think might be the best word. Where it's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. But also it is about... The beauty of adoption. It's about, it's kind of a anti-Brexit allegory, or it's a story about immigrants. Or, and I think because Paddington is, because it's not like he's a he's a race other than like a bear that people can easily project themselves onto him as well. So if you're, mm-hmm. so if you're an if you're uh, someone from Mexico who immigrated to America, then you're Paddington. If you're someone who felt alienated after coming out to your parents and like you 
you know, became homeless in the worst of cases, you can project yourself onto Paddington. If you've ever just felt like disconnected or you don't have a community and you're whatever, cisgender white guy or whatever, you can you can connect with the idea of Paddington. The fact that he's a bear is such like a a sneakily brilliant <laughs> allegory for yeah it's whoever you want him to be but at the same time it's not like they're saying this is about racism or immigration it is so yeah this isn't zootopia no well, yeah and and i think zootopia is a really good movie but zootopia it's like if you don't know what the themes are after the movie then it's like i i question your judgment which my sister-in-law Did you fall asleep yeah or? i know i talked to my sister-in-law one time i was like yeah, I mean, that's my favorite movie that's like an allegory for systemic racism in, in the police force. And she said, it was? I was like, oh, no. But with Paddington, it is a it is a situation of like, that's not really super over in the text. But if you just think about it for five minutes, it's like, oh, my gosh, I think it is loaded in all those ways. And I mean, I definitely agree with your whole point about kind of the, the immigrant side to it, just because, I mean... He just all of the closed doors in his faces and just like he has to make do with what he has, even if that isn't uh, anything at this point. And I love that you're right, that all these characters have all these different levels to them. Like, sure, um, Mr. Brown is a very like by the numbers person, but he still loves his family and he will die for them. And even same with the villain, with um, Millicent Clyde. She wants to kill Paddington, but because... She felt that he and his family disgraced her family. Yeah, and yeah. Just diving deep into just no, any movie that kind of dives into nobody is inherently bad or good. It's just all about perspective. I just, it's so good, and especially that's an important thing to teach kids. That's a good point too about the villain that I haven't really thought about that much since watching it because I think one of the harder things too for and you see this in Marvel movies over and over again, although. The buzz is it's not quite the case in Black Panther. But one of the hardest things to do in a movie is <laughs> have a villain that's interesting at all. Yes. To have a villain that's believable, to have a villain that is, you get it, or that's not just like boring and vagaries about world domination or my father or something like mm -hmm. that, where it is like, oh, I get it and I understand it. And that's a, that's a good character. Like... There's a reason that it's pretty much just, <laughs> it's like Loki and who else? Like, it, that's pretty much it as far as like interesting villains go in, in those movies. Well, I watched um, Ragnarok the other day and it was ridiculous. Like, I get, they kind of poised, um, what's it, Jeff Goldblum to be the main villain. But then it turns out that you're missing all this other stuff with Hela, their sister that came back to take back over uh, their home planet. And it's just, it's insanity. And I just, there was nothing to latch on to at all. Yeah. Like Marvel, Marvel is getting so excited and obsessed with like, ooh, we're kind of not being a typical superhero movie anymore. Like we can be jokes, jokey and have like the superheroes be awkward and stuff. But it's just... It just falls flat. Yeah, I think. and I liked Ragnarok, but I agree. Like the villains, it's just like, yeah, just get back to having fun with your friends. <laughs> like it's it's okay. We don't maybe we don't need a villain for this one. Yeah, just hang out with your superhero friend. Like yeah. if they did, they should make a sitcom where it's like friends, but they're all superheroes. That would be that would be good. 
Okay, cool. We're going to make that We're going right to do now. that. Okay, bye, everybody. You're first. <laughs> oh, also, um, I found a very subtle biblical reference in this movie. Oh, what's that? So, uh, just like Adam and Eve, uh, at one point in the film, Paddington learns that he was naked, and so he gets covered up with that big blue jacket. Oh, that's right. Oh, and to me, that is that is one of the most touching scenes. And as far as I know, I think that's an invention of the movie than it is from the books. Him getting I, the the jacket. The jacket is in the books, but the idea that the jacket originates from the Brown family is new in the movie. Uh, and I love it. That's... I think that makes it more meaningful because he never takes it off even when they kick him out. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And so it, it, and it's one of those things where I think this is true of this movie and the aforementioned Lego movie where we're starting to see now and get into this age of, okay, everything's going to get clogged up. People are making less original movies and everyone's saying there's too many sequels and there's too much franchising and too many Star Wars movies, blah, 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 blah. And that may or may not be true, but I think because of what you see people doing within those franchises, there's a little bit of hope where if you get a good match for a, a filmmaker like Paul King doing this one in Paddington 2 to the right IP, it doesn't have to suck. Like We're living in a world now where the fifth Fast and Furious movie might be the best one, which just was not the case like decades before where it's like, Oh yeah, Jaws four, that's going to be a dumpster fire of a movie. That's going to be like a C grade movie. Who cares? But now it's like Lego movie. Oh, who wants a Lego movie? Who cares? Stupid toys. Okay. Get Lord Miller to do it. It's a profound statement on creativity. It's a slapstick comedy. It's funny as hell. Like there's no reason that these movies have to be bad. They can be good. And I think, I think studios are getting wise to the fact that if you give authors a little bit of latitude to make the movie that they want to make, as well as like serving, honestly, like the corporate interests and the shareholders and and making sure everyone's doing their due diligence. But man, Last Jedi is probably as much a Ryan Johnson movie as it is a Star Wars movie. And I, was just I think, gonna say. yeah, and I think that's to everyone's benefit, and that's why it was so critically acclaimed and. Man, it did $200 million less box office than Force Awakens did or than it was expected to or whatever. But I don't think anyone cares in the long run. And I think the the quality equity of the IP is going to become a lot more valuable to people than like you can't. And you saw that last year. You can't just poop out another Transformers movie. No one's going to care. And no one did care. It kind of like as much as a movie like that can flop that movie did flop but something like Paddington where they're not breaking the bank on the budget for this movie it was a pretty I mean I don't know like what the conversion rate and what it'd be equivalent to it it would be the first one was made for like 50 to 55 million dollars which is I think mid-budget like that's not a that's not an expensive movie. I think anything below like eighty million is a mid-budget movie, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of that just went to the CGI for the most part because it it was pretty seamless. Yeah. Oh, to, oh, that's another thing is like I never once think, and that's the magic trick of this movie too. I never once think like I did, in Lord of the Rings, like wow, Gollum looks really good. They did a good job. I just think. Oh, Paddington's my dude. I don't think I don't I never I never <laughs> yeah. even begin to contemplate that he's not there. 
I'm just like, oh yeah, that was hilarious. He was hilarious in that scene. But I never. When he fell down the escalator. Yeah, I never think, oh, he's not there because the, the the animation is so good and super props and it got even better in the second one. But super props to whoever the animation director is of that movie who just like a thousand percent gets the soul of Paddington because you could do that even a stylistic way you could do that where it's like a little too cartoony or a little too oh it looks too much like an actual bear but they did it in a way that is just perfect for the style of this movie a hundred percent because like Yogi Bear looks terrible yeah 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 and all these but no and I don't know if you I looked up behind the scenes footage just because I was curious like oh are they just looking at a tennis ball or something they actually built like an animatronic head of Paddington it's like a little jarring to see just a decapitated Paddington head just hanging out on set but I mean that's something that's they know how to do it totally totally I mean and too I'm sure you found in your research like Oh man, Colin Firth was gonna be Paddington, and you can hear a teeny tiny sound clip of him in the original trailer say like, "Oh dear," but that's pretty much it. And I cannot imagine any other sound coming out of that little guy's mouth. And I'm also glad uh, that it wasn't um, like a really small voice, because I assumed that it was gonna be, you know, like a child's voice because he's a little bear. But I don't know this this. This adult-ish accent and voice just kind of, it felt really good. Like, there was something about it that was just pleasant and kind of ageless in a way. Yeah, totally. And you can pretty much project whatever you want to on it again. Mm-hmm. And I think the the fact that Ben Winshaw is a gay man in real life, you know, adds to that narrative, too. Yeah, I looked that up in my research, and I was like, good for you. Because he was like, my sexuality is nobody's business, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I do. I keep thinking, and I can't wait for you to see Paddington too. But I do keep thinking, are they going to give Paddington a little girlfriend in Paddington Three? Ooh, are we ready for that? Is that what I want? Right? Like I don't know because I think. Oh, I think in a way Paddington is almost too good for what we would define as romance, and he's too pure. But then at the same time, I keep imagining two little bear paws holding hands, and I oh. I know, right? <laughs> so I go back and forth on that, but obviously it's something I've given a lot of thought to. I No, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I, oh, my God. I just oh, Now I'm just thinking, Paddington deserves some love, but like... I want him to stay his childlike state. I don't want him to grow up too fast. Yeah, and that's the thing is like because of the voice, but then because of his like age and stature, it's like at the same time he's a little kid, but he's also mentally like someone maybe in their early 20s or something. Yeah, um, also this movie, I totally forgot that this was a trope in kids' movies until I saw it, but they did the... Uh, Indiana Jones hat thing. Yes, 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 yes. When he gets it after escaping from uh, Nicole Kidman's place. Yep. And I, oh, usually I hate that in movies, but I'm like, eh, he has a hat. It's it's so right. It's perfect. Yeah, it's really good. And honestly, for me, as a as an adult living in Los Angeles, I I am just relieved to know what my Halloween costume will <laughs> be in a couple of months. Yeah, that was not the same experience when I saw Secret Life of Pets alone. I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be Eric Stone Street's character. Let's oh, I go. know, right? I, I, it was going to be so good. We were all convinced that that was going to be a fun movie. It's just Toy Story with 
animals, right? That's all it is. Yeah. And, like, I mean, Jenny Slate kills it in it, but, I mean... She's kind of got that market cornered. (laughs) Oh, totally. Being just, like, conniving, but also very sweet out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, um, we mentioned it briefly before, but that that escalator scene when they're going in the tube... And when Paddington falls, I was like, are they going to kill a dog in this movie? Because that dog goes flying in the air. Oh, I know, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, but also, that animation at the uh, when Paddington falls and his little butt keeps getting scooted by the escalator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Again, it's like all these touches are so... You can just... You can just tell the care that they put into every part of this. Yeah, I mean, now... And, like, I watched this alone in the afternoon, so I thought, like, uh, how much am I really going to love this? But, I mean, it it was just so good. It really just struck something in me that I did. Like, I, like I'm uh, about to graduate college. I'm going to be maybe moving to New York or L.A. or something. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, just this whole idea of just kind of being, uh, like, lost in the world or just kind of in transition. If real, if Paddington really spoke to me. <laughs> He's such a good guy. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing is like, in addition to whatever merits the movie has, and it has a lot, that uh, for me and a, and a few of my friends, Paddington has become this interesting totem of, <laughs> of belief and integrity where I have legitimately thought in certain situations since watching these movies... I wonder I wonder what Paddington would do or Paddington <laughs> I don't think Paddington would do that or I WWPD Honestly honestly like it and it's become this weird thing of uh, there's so much and and I think that's when art functions at its best is not only like that was a great time and they made like a beautiful thing but then when there's actual like positive affect in individuals' lives and community. Like, I think that about Inside Out. I think Inside Out made me a better person. <laughs> or at least I Inside so. Out made me want to be a better person and, like, was such a proper and, and, and compassionate framing of how joy and grief can and should function. Um, and I think that about Paddington as well. I think, man, there's certain things about his, like, decency that are so contagious and desirable that he makes, like, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, like he he runs down the street, catches a bus, all to give a guy back his wallet, and we find out that it's. I mean, he was a, he was stealing the wallet, but it's just that go to help, regardless of the full context. He just sees somebody in need and goes for it. Yeah, totally. No, that and that's his heart too. And again, it's like a superhero where if he was a human character, somebody'd be like, all right, he's a little too perfect. But be, again, because yes. he's a bear. That he can be that um, that pure in in all of his actions and intent and desire. Well, I think he is the elusive Ubermensch. Yes, yeah. that perfect human being. That or I couldn't think of the cool scientific word for d- uh, bear. I was like a canine, but that's not right. <laughs> but yeah, just like this perfect person and. Uh, like we don't need to get into uh, religion or anything, but I mean, like I, like I'm relatively practicing as a Jew, and just like seeing this person who he 
he's almost like Job in a way. He, this stuff kind of keeps happening to him, definitely not to the extent of Job, but just he rolls with the punches and he knows, a little bit of inside him knows that in the end he's going to find this Montgomery and that he's going to have a home. Like, there, he's always positive and thinks of the master plan. Mm-hmm, but he does it without bitterness or, um, yeah, any sort of, like, he doesn't carry it with him, and he is similarly kind of selfless in that. And and that's what I really appreciated about him, too, is that he's so centered on others rather than himself. Uh, yeah. It, even in finding a home, it's, you know, it, it's almost like to honor you know, Aunt Lucy and everything that she did for him. Oh, yeah. And oh, and I love that you find out that uh, the habitat for old bears is a real thing and not just like she's dying. Oh, I know. Because I was like, oh, are they killing off Aunt Lucy? And thankfully, no, that is like more of a whimsical thing. Uh, and, and then isn't that the second movie that they're that Paddington is trying to get Aunt Lucy to London? No, the second movie is basically he's just trying to get her a birthday present. Oh. Yeah. I know. Again, low stakes. But then by act two, he's like reformed the prison industrial complex. <laughs> so it's again. And and I would say even in that movie, uh, maybe more so than the first one, it is a little more um, thematically loaded in that sense. But again, and not in a way that a kid wouldn't just uh, enjoy it at face value. I'm so excited for you to see this second one. You gotta yeah, go seriously. You have to go see uh, it while it's still in theaters. Um, and I might, unless you go with like your best or close one of your closest friends, I would I would maybe recommend seeing it alone. Uh, well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because so today we're recording this on Valentine's Day, and I was planning on doing kind of just like a little like treat myself night. I was gonna go see. Uh, I, Tanya, but honestly, like, I'm revved up and ready for Paddington. Yeah, and I would say, and I think, I I don't like I, Tanya that much. I think it's, like, entertaining and fine, but I think, honestly, Paddington 2, especially on a holiday all about hearts, Paddington 2 is going to be good for oh. your heart. Well, uh, yep, yeah, okay. I think I'm going to change my plan, Hell my yeah. solo plans. Yes, you are. Uh, hey, uh, Kevin, I was thinking there... about doing it, too, so we might, yeah. we might be twins in that respect. Spend Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. Hell yeah! Where are you recording from again? Uh, oh, uh, so I'm at in uh, at Temple University in Philadelphia. Oh, Philly, Philly, Philly. I have friends in Philly. Oh, who's your friend? I I probably don't know them. Uh, Ryan and Maddie Hibbard. Shouts out to them slash doxing yes. them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I know them, but I mean, they sound like fairy tale characters. They're lovely. I don't know if they've seen Paddington though, so I can't speak to that. Well, if you two are listening, <laughs> going out to the theater, maybe I'll see you at the Broad yes. Street Sevens. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, are there any? Do you have any last thoughts or things that you've been kind of itching to say about Paddington before we uh, kind of wrap things up and rate it? Uh, no, I mean I'm gonna be thinking and talking about Paddington for a good chunk of my Forever. life. I think. <laughs> Honestly, it's one of those movies where it's like it's part of my emotional canon now. Where I I think the 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 movie and the character is so good for so many reasons, but. But more so, I think that if there's one takeaway from it, like just the purity of that character and the aspirational nature of him, completely divorced from like, he's a cute bear and he's clumsy and it's funny and and the movie's pretty to look at like a Wes Anderson movie. But just, I think the work they did to make that character so lovely is is just the hardest kind of thing to make something like a, 
a purely invented thing, an animated thing that's been in the cultural consciousness for, for you know, like 60 years at this point. I think they really pulled off a magic trick, and I think Paddington and Paddington 2 are just some of the... The, the way I try to describe it to people, because there is like that initial skepticism, like Paddington, who I don't care about Paddington. Yep. The way I try to describe it to people is like, no, just think Pixar. Because no one thinks like, you went and saw Coco? Why? Like, it's just, oh yeah, Coco's probably great. I haven't seen it yet, but it's probably good. There's like that, there's that assumption of quality. I actually did see Coco, and I thought it was good. The ending was really great. I didn't think it was that funny, though. I wanted it to be funnier, but... You'll, I'm sure you'll get to that when you get to that on your show. Um, oh, yeah. But, but yeah, I think uh, I just encourage everyone to see Paddington. I hype it probably too much at this point, but that little dude means a your lot Instagram's to me. Your Instagram's cluttered at this point, it, but it's I great. I mean, truly, it's it's become a <laughs> a Paddington stand page <laughs> at this Kevin point. Kevin T. Paddington. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm going to change my name right now to Kevin T. Paddington on Twitter. Yes. (laughs) So uh, I think no matter your stage in life or your preconceived notions that you should give Paddington 1 and then Paddington 2 a shot. And I do hear from people that are like, I've heard from uh, the odd person that's like, oh, I liked 1, I didn't care for 2, or 1 didn't really do it for me, but 2 I loved, so I'd say give both of them a shot. Yeah, like, I wouldn't say going to either movie is going to be a waste of time. Like, even if you're... I had no idea about Paddington. I never read the books when I was a kid. Same. But, I mean, it's just a fun, good movie is a fun, good movie. And I had one comment, this one pun that I've been holding on to for an hour. Sure. When... uh, uh, at the standoff, when Millicent is trying to shoot Paddington on the roof of the uh, science building, and Paddington finally uses that uh, marmalade sandwich that he's been keeping in his hat the whole movie, uh, I coined that as a deus ex marmalade. That's good. That's Woo! very good. Deus ex marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> Get that right. Use that as a hashtag if you guys want. We Yes, um, we for sure will. Definitely. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Kevin, briefly before we go, let's give this a quick rating so we can compare it to the other movies that we've done on this podcast. So uh, all you have to do is rate it on a scale from zero to five. You can be as minute uh, with your decimal points as possible. We've done up to a thousandth decimal point at some points in this podcast. So uh, I'll let you go first. I mean, this isn't hard for me. I try to have nuance on these things, and especially as someone who's rated a lot of stuff on podcasts before, I, I got to go five out of five marmalade sandwiches for, for my man Paddington. Yep. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a terrific movie. It's weird that the second one is better, so I want to get you hyped for that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, the first one is completely charming. It feels like like a magical movie moment unstuck from time when Mrs. Brown walks over to him in the train station. It's like, oh, shit, this movie's like an all-time classic. It's so beautiful. So, uh, yeah, it, yeah, and amazing music, too. So, uh, I'm yeah, got to go five out of five. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you. I'm giving it a 4.7 because uh, there, there was, I don't know, I like to be very nuanced, and I have to. Sure. This is actually our 40th episode, so, like, there is... I've, this is 40! Yeah, 
<laughs> Paul Rudd's gonna be on next week. It's gonna be good. Great. Good, good. That's weird that you would have uh, Paul Rudd on Forty One, but I'm into it. We're gonna do it all on the toilet while looking at iPads. It's gonna be nice. so good. <laughs> Crunching the numbers, Paddington comes out to a four point eight five, which Kevin. Paddington is now our highest rated movie. Hell yeah. Wow. Who, it, who did it? It just surpassed uh, the original Muppet movie. Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I will uh, disappoint you now. I've not seen the Muppet movie. I saw, well, that's okay. I saw the, uh, the 20, tw- 2011 Muppet movie. I thought it was really great. The one with oh, Jason Oh, that one's Siegel. fantastic. Yeah. I was really, really charmed by it. It's, oh, I mean, I've been a Muppet person my whole life, which actually, a little announcement for the podcast, March is going to be March Muppness, where we are going to be only watching. Yep, very good with names over here. So we're going to be talking about uh, four different Muppet movies throughout uh, the whole Muppet canon. Uh, Tweet us what you would like us to talk about, and we're going to be doing it with podcast favorite Alyssa Epstein. But, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast, Ross. Yeah, I I just kind of reached out to you, and you were kind enough uh, to help figure this out and set up a time. Um... Obviously, multiple uh, times, have, too many yeah, oh, times. <laughs> I'm going to be posting uh, this. Uh, Kevin sent me a screenshot of the calendar event that he made in his phone because this is uh, this is our third attempt. And no, uh, no skin off your back. We're, we all get busy. Mm-hmm. But, you can throw uh, shade, though. It's OK. I was uh, yeah. I was a dodgy Guys, little booger this. with uh, with Ross, unfortunately. That's <laughs> yeah, all good. But uh, so I'll be posting that on our Instagram and Twitter because it's a fun it's a fun little caption. A little behind the scenes. You know what? Podcasters are just like you listeners. And I think, you know, a lot of people are, are really dazzled by the process, but there's nothing to be afraid of. Exactly. Uh, and Kevin, obviously, uh, would you like to kind of give the pitch for your two current podcasts? Sure. So The Marvelous Mrs. Mayus Ogoyes is my podcast I do with Alice Wetterland where we cover every episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and you can find that in the Gilmore Guys feed, wherever you find podcasts. And then my other podcast, the more important one, no, I'm just kidding, they're both they're both very um. important, is <laughs> Good Christian Fun, which I co-host with the great Caroline Ely, and that's where we go through Christian pop culture, Christian movies and music and entertainment, and try to figure out what's going on with all that stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, I, my, I was listening to the Prince of Egypt episode with my mom, and we were both like, yeah, we agree with all these points. Oh, great. I, I hope it's a it's a good podcast to throw on with your mom. Well, yeah, because we're both J- Jewish, obviously. But I mean, uh-huh. uh, it's I enjoy kind of having a, like a frank and fun uh, discussion about religion because I feel everybody's always so cynical and just kind of like blech about it. But it's nice to just talk about it and not kind of try to convert anybody. Just talk and uh compare and contrast i hope so because i mean i feel like there's been and i didn't even really search for it until we started ours but there's a lot of like cynical or negative takes about a lot of this stuff and and i think it's fine to be negative and cynical about some of it but i like the chief idea of like trying to connect it and make it interesting for everybody or try to find the value in whatever the 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 topic or the case may be oh totally and this podcast honestly i assumed it was going to end up being a cynical thing but it's become just a fun ride through uh, all these movies that I should have watched when I was a kid. Oh, good. What was the yeah. most surprising that that how good it was? Oh, that's a that's hard. Um, I I didn't love Heavyweights, but I feel like if I watched it when I was a kid, I would have really enjoyed it. Okay, I uh, I would say if you haven't done the 2015 version of Pete's Dragon, I think that'll be very surprising how great that is. Really? 
Pete's Dragon was my favorite movie of that year. Yeah, everyone slept on it because you assumed it was another, uh, again, like a cynical pre-existing IP cash grab, like Beauty and mm-hmm. the Beast and Lion King and Jungle Book. But Pete's Dragon had like a very specific voice and heart. Yeah. It was it was gorgeous. Yeah, you should. That should be one of your next ones. Okay, noted. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you can uh, follow this podcast on social media, wherever, at KidFlixPod, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and send us an email, KidFlixPod at gmail.com, with any questions, concerns, or uh, just complaints. But anyway, that's all for today. We will hear you next week, and go, go, gadget, and show. Go, go, gadget. That was perfect. Yay!